Good morning, church. I was looking through my closet today and I thought, what shirt best describes the way that I feel after not having preached for seven months at our church? I was like, found it. It was an easy choice. Um, in all seriousness, this is uh, a shirt that Sonny got me when Sonny came back from Nigeria, and I was saving it for a special occasion, and it feels like a special occasion. God is very good and very kind in allowing us to gather here today. He's very kind in allowing me to be able to preach. The last time I preached was mid-November here, uh, and so to be able to receive permission, we're thankful from the authorities, we're thankful for the church center, and we're thankful for your prayers and God in answering in his grace. So uh, we're going to be reading today, uh, our sermon text will be John 7, verses 10 through 24. John 7, 10 through 24, you can follow along in your Bible. Hopefully you open your Bible up. We're going to be kind of jumping around in the chapter of John 7. So have your Bible open and you can follow along on the screen behind me as well. John 7, starting with verse 10. But after this, his brothers, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast. And saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you marvel at it. Moses gave you the circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we have just asked that you speak to us. You do amazing things by your word, Lord. We need your word. And so we pray that as we look at your word right now this morning, that you would speak by it, that you would open our hearts to see the truth and to love it, that you would help us to see your glory. And in seeing your glory in the word, that you would renew our minds in helping us to grasp the heights of your plan for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The call to discipleship is a call to die. To die, not just physically, but to die to yourself and to die to the pursuit of your own glory. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and seek after your own praise and your own glory. They don't go hand in hand. If you are seeking your glory, you are not seeking God's glory. God does not share glory with anyone. He says in Isaiah, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. If Jesus is not sitting on the throne of your life, ruling and reigning and receiving your worship, then you are not a disciple of Jesus. If you are seeking after your own glory, you are not a disciple of Jesus. You cannot serve two masters. Last week, Pastor John showed us from the beginning of John 7 how even Jesus' own brothers, the people who knew him probably better than anyone else on this world, even his own brothers didn't believe in Jesus. They knew that he could do signs. They knew that he could work wonders. But they did not believe in him because they were loving the praise that came from this world. They were living for this world, and they were not recognizing Jesus for who he truly was. Verse 5 of chapter 7 says, Even his own brothers did not believe in him. Faith and glory seeking for yourselves are opposite. They are like oil and water. They cannot go together. They will separate. And this week we're going to see at how we see Jesus rightly. His brothers couldn't. We'll see the Pharisees don't. The crowd doesn't. How do we see Jesus for who he truly is? How do we believe in the real Jesus? Not a Jesus made after our own image, but Jesus who he truly is. We cannot seek our own glory and see Jesus as true. We cannot seek our own self-righteousness and see Jesus as he truly is. Instead, what we're going to see is, in order to see Jesus as he is, we need to look away from ourselves. We need to stop seeking our glory and behold his glory fully. We're going to walk through verses 10 through 24, what I just read, and we're going to see three different groups of people in our passage. We're first going to see the people or the crowds fear. Then we're going to see the Pharisees or the Jews hypocrisy. And then we're going to see Jesus's perfection. The crowd's fear, the Pharisees' hypocrisy, Jesus's perfection. And then we're going to close by asking the question, how do we see Jesus's teaching to be true? So if you're with me, let's walk through here and look at the first group that we see. We see the people and we see the people's fear. Listen to verse 10. I just read it. After his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he, that's Jesus, also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? So last week we saw, if you just look up a few verses on John 7, his brothers want Jesus to go up with the crowd to the feast that's going to be taking place in Jerusalem. They want him to go up publicly and to be seen. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to go up in that way. John showed us that Jesus isn't lying. What Jesus is doing is he's breaking their categories. 
you want me to go up with all the worldly attention. That's not how I'm supposed to go. My hour hasn't come for that yet. He does not go with them. Instead, he goes privately, and he doesn't do miracles and signs. Instead, he teaches, as we'll see. He doesn't perform miracles. He gives his words. Verse 11 shows us that the Jews are already seeking after Jesus. They're already looking for Jesus, even at the feast. They don't know he's gone up privately. They're looking around for him. Why are they doing that? Well, to take a step back, if you guys remember, this has been a while since we were in John 6 for a while, but if you remember, back in John 5, we saw Jesus do a miracle. Now, Jesus has done a lot of miracles in the Gospel of John. He's turned water into wine, right? What he's done is he's taken fish and bread and multiplied it to feed thousands of people. He has healed a man's son from miles and miles away, not doing any magical rite, not putting in great effort, but with a word spoken. The Jews are seeking him for a different sign, though. If you remember in chapter 5, he healed a man when? On the Sabbath. He healed the man on the Sabbath. And in doing so, he made himself, in their eyes, equal with God because he called God his own father. Listen to John 5.18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Pharisees see Jesus' miracles. And rather than seeing glory, they think he's a problem. He's a problem that needs to be dealt with. He needs to be eliminated. We'll come back to the Pharisees in a moment. How do the rest of the people think about Jesus? Verse 12 shows us, There was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He's a good man. Others said, No, he's leading people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. The people have mixed feelings about Jesus. Some of them think, Yep, we think he's a good teacher. He's a good man. He's doing things the right way. Other people look and say, nah, he's a false teacher. Right? He's going against what the Pharisees teach. He's a false teacher. But notice, no one, no one, not the people who believe that Jesus was a good teacher, a good man. No one ref- was able to speak openly about him. They refused to commit. They refused to be identified with Jesus. They refused to let others hear what they think about Jesus. Why? For fear of the Jews. For fear of the Pharisees. They loved their lives more than God's will. They loved their lives more than listening to God's words. And their love for their own lives kept them from seeing the truth. Fear of man, caring more about what other people think about you than what God thinks about you, caring more about what other people can do to you in this life. Sometimes, like, I don't really care what they think about me, but what are they going to do to me? Fear of man, caring more about what other people think than what God thinks, it blocks you from seeing the truth. It blinds you to seeing what's really there. It does it because men, other people, 
become the biggest reality in our lives rather than the weight of God bearing down on all of us. If you go to Dubai Mall and you stand close enough to somebody in a crowd of people gathered around the Burj Khalifa, you can block their view of the Burj Khalifa. Some of you kids, have you ever been in like a, a big setting with lots of people and you're supposed to see something, but you have a bunch of these adults who are just standing in your way and, and you can't see it, right? If you stand close enough to somebody, you can block their view of the tallest building in the world. Now, if you stopped and thought about it, it's ridiculous that a two-meter person, not quite two meters, but I'm going to take those extra few centimeters, a two-meter person would be able to block an 830-meter building. You'd look and you'd say, wait, why are you letting this dude stand in your way? Move. Just get around. Move your head. You know, get, get around, see an angle. Whoa, big, huge building. But if you stand close enough, you can't see it. That's what fear of man is for us. When we care more about what other people think about us than what God thinks about us, we let a puny, two-meter-tall person block our view of the infinite God. God in all his weight, all his majesty, all his glory, we don't see him. Why? Because we have someone right in front of our faces, and we're blind to it. That's what fear of man has done to the people. They have the greatest teacher in the world in their midst. They have God himself dwelling with them, and they can't see him. Not for who he is. Because all they see are the Pharisees and what the Pharisees could do to them. Many of us struggle with this. We think about, what will our friends think of us? We think, what, what will my family think of me? What will my culture think of me? Will I be an outsider? We think about all the earthly pain and earthly havoc that can come. And it can be painful. It can be suffering. But in doing so, we're focused on it, and we miss the glory of who God truly is. We blind ourselves to it. If we had eyes to see, we could tell how much weightier God is than them. How much more massive God is than other people. But we, we can't see it because we're focused on what man can do to us. The people need to stop looking at the Pharisees. They need to stop caring about what the Pharisees think. And they need to see Jesus for themselves. They need to move to a position where they can see Christ in all his glory as he truly is. But they can't right now because they're fearing man. That's the people's fear. What about the Pharisees' hypocrisy? What about our second group? Well, we see here they say one thing, but they do something completely different. That's the definition of hypocrisy. Verses 14 through 24 show us an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees and the crowd. Look at verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews, that's the Pharisees, they marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. The one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. 
Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek me? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry at me? Because on the Sabbath I made a whole man's body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus knows that the Jews, the Pharisees, are seeking to kill him. He says as much in verse 19. And while the crowd acts surprised in verse 20, like, who's doing that? You must have a demon. We see in verse 25 that it's actually pretty common knowledge. If you just look down to verse 25, some of the people in Jerusalem said, isn't this the man who they're seeking to kill? (laughs) So the crowd's like, no, you must be crazy. While other people are like, yeah, we, we, we all know they're trying to kill him. Jesus knows the Pharisees don't see the truth in his words. If they did, they wouldn't be seeking to kill him. And from his teaching, we can see why. Why the Pharisees miss the truth of Jesus' words. If we follow Jesus' logic going down from the bottom back up to the top, we can actually see from the root, the external, we can get to the root of why the Pharisees are seeking to kill Jesus. Why don't they see Jesus as true? In verse 24, sorry, Jesus rebukes them by judging by appearances. He says, do not judge by appearances. They are in their statements. And he says, stop it. Don't judge by appearances. Judge with right judgment. The Pharisees don't care about what's actually true. They care about what appears to be true. They are making decisions based upon external factors. They prioritize the way things look rather than the way things actually are. And we see how this plays out in the way they relate to Jesus' healing in John 5. Right? They keep bringing it up. Right? Jesus at least keeps bringing it up. Jesus shows them in the law how you can work on the Sabbath and not break the Sabbath. Not all physical exertion is considered Sabbath-breaking on the Sabbath. He says, look, Moses gave people circumcision, and you circumcise people on the Sabbath. You work. It's full of exertion and pain even. And you do it on the day of rest. Why? Because in your circumcising, recognizing this is a member of the covenant community, you're actually keeping Sabbath in how you do it. You're not breaking the Sabbath. If it's right to circumcise someone on the Sabbath, wouldn't it be right to love your neighbor as yourself if you have the capacity to heal them? Wouldn't it be right to do good on the Sabbath? That's what Jesus is saying. I healed a man. My healing was not a Sabbath breaking. My healing was a Sabbath keeping. But because the Pharisees only care about appearances, they don't care about the heart behind the law. They care about what looks like the law. Because they care about appearances, they're like, nope, Sabbath breaker deserves to die. But their hypocrisy goes deeper. 
The reality is that they don't actually keep the law themselves. Look at verse 19. If you look at verse 19, Jesus says, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus says, okay, problems with law breaking. You think I'm a law breaker. What about you? If you are seeking to kill lawbreakers, you don't keep the law. Why are you seeking to kill me if you're not seeking to kill yourselves? In their minds, Jesus broke the law when he did a good deed on the Sabbath. Jesus says, you break the law every day through your evil deeds. Rather than upholding the law, the Pharisees are law breakers. Jesus is showing them, your accusation about me, it doesn't come from the law. You're not reading God's law rightly. You are putting yourself in the law, and you're reading it in order to elevate yourself. You are creating the rules here. You're not submitting to God's rules. Your accusation comes from your perception. It doesn't come from God's word. You are not speaking God's words. You're speaking your own words. And why are you doing this? Because you want glory. Look at verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. The Pharisees want glory for themselves. That's why they speak their own traditions. That's why they speak their own rules and regulations, is so that people can look at them and can give them the glory. That's why they want to kill Jesus. Jesus is a threat to their glory. He's taking glory from them. In other parts of the Gospels, the Pharisees say to each other, look, everyone's going after him. Implication, they're not following us. The Pharisees teach from their own authority in order to get their own glory. The Pharisees don't want to do God's will for God's glory. They want to do their will for their glory. And this glory hunger keeps them from seeing Jesus' words as true. Look at verse 16. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will recognize the teaching is not my own, but God's. But just as the people's fear of man kept them from seeing the truth in Jesus' words, the Pharisees' glory hunger, which, by the way, is another form of fearing man, keeps them from seeing the truth of Jesus' words. The earthly gain, the earthly blessings, the earthly status, the earthly recognition and prosperity and power. That desire for those earthly things keeps them from seeing Jesus' words as true. They hear it, and they don't recognize the voice of God. Because all along, the Pharisees don't want to do God's will. Despite all their appearance of law-keeping, they want their own glory. They could not see him because they were focused on this world and what it had to offer them. That's their hypocrisy. And this leads to our third point. We've seen the people's fear and the Pharisees' hypocrisy. Those two groups of people stand in contrast to Jesus. Because in Jesus, we see perfection. We see perfection. 
Jesus is laboring in his teaching. He is, he is teaching clearly. His logic is tight. And he wants people to be able to see his glory and the truth of his words. He wants the crowd, he wants the Pharisees to get their eyes off of themselves and see him and recognize that if you see him rightly, you're also going to see God. We see this in four ways in our passage. First, Jesus' teaching doesn't come from man. It's not like the Pharisees. Jesus' teaching comes from God. That's verse 17. The Pharisees were the source of their own words. They spoke with human authority. God is the source of Jesus' words. He speaks with divine authority. The voice of Jesus is the voice of God. Jesus' words are the Father's words. Second, Jesus seeks the glory of the Father and not his own glory. The Pharisees are so caught up in their pursuit of their own glory. Jesus seeks the glory of the Father. That's verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. The one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. The Pharisees sought their own glory through their traditions. Jesus seeks the Father's glory by speaking the Father's words. This is amazing when we think that Jesus has glory. Jesus is God. He has all perfection. He has all splendor. And yet, as Philippians 2 reminds us, he did not grasp with his glory. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And then later on, Paul says in Philippians 2, so that at the name of Jesus, even when Jesus receives glory, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus perfectly seeks the Father's glory. And therefore, number three, Jesus is perfectly true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's where verse 18 ends. The one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. The problem with speaking from human authority is that humans err. Everything we say is mixed with falsehood. We err, we sin, we wrongly seek our own glory. Have you ever wondered why some people so often share their advice and their opinion? Uh, I'm an opinionated person, so I certainly have wondered why I keep doing this over and over again. Sometimes it's because we genuinely want to help, right? So there's a baby shower for Lucy today. I've never been to a baby shower, but what I've heard is that people give advice, right? Sometimes that's, I genuinely desire to help this person. But often our desire is not actually to be help, to help, but our desire is to be seen as helpful. Our desire is to be seen as smart, as wise, as intelligent, we want people to come to us for stuff. We want people to say, man, that Luke guy, he's really, really smart. When we speak our opinions, often we're seeking our own glory. 
being an opinionated person is not a personality trait. Being an opinionated person is a glory problem. Often through our opinions, we seek our own glory. Words from human authority contain human error and human sin, but God's words are always true because God is always true. This is one of the reasons why as a church, we always want to show where it comes from in this book is because if I get up here and if I say something based upon what I think alone and I don't try and point back to this book, then you'd better run because I'm seeking my own glory, most likely. But rather, if I come and I try and say, this book is true, we submit to this book, we live under this book, we look to see what this book says, and we test things against scriptures. By the way, one of the ways I pray for you guys as you leave the UAE is that you would be able to test what pastors say against the scripture. Because at the end of the day, we want to see scripture as true and as right. Jesus' words are perfectly true. Fourth and finally, Jesus perfectly fulfills the law of Moses. The Pharisees could not keep the law because they approached it seeking their own glory. They approach the law the wrong way, but Jesus perfectly keeps the law. He is the one who is perfectly in step with the law. The Apostle Paul picks up this dynamic in Romans 10. He's talking about the Jews, and he says, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So they are ignorant of what God really thinks is righteous, is right, Instead, they want to establish their own, and in doing so, they are lawbreakers. They don't submit to God's law. For Christ is the end or goal. Literally, the word is telos there. Christ is the telos, the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. The Pharisees' failure to keep the law should have driven them to Jesus. They should have said, you're right, Not one of us keeps the law of Moses. But instead, they competed with Jesus because they wanted to establish their own righteousness. And they missed the fact that Jesus is the one who gives us the righteousness. He is the one who perfectly obeys the law and is able to stand in our place as a shield between the wrath of God. God's wrath against sin is real. The Pharisees were right in wanting to have righteousness. They were wrong in wanting to have their own. They sought to stand before God the wrong way. It's like a a kid. A kid who makes this cardboard shield out, which is great for pretend. But if you take that cardboard shield into an actual battle, it's not going to stop anything. A sword would cut through that shield. The Pharisees stand before God with their cardboard shield and say, I have my righteousness right here. I'm safe. I'm protected. Look at my good deeds. Look at my law keeping. And they are powerless against the nuclear bomb of God's wrath. And they're refusing to go to Jesus, who is a bomb shelter. They brought their cardboard shield to atomic warfare. Jesus covers us from the wrath of God. He fulfills the law and is able to stand in our place and take every bit of wrath righteous so that we as sinners can be forgiven and can be covered. 
in our sin, in our failure, we should hide ourselves in Christ. That's the glory of Jesus. I hope you see that with your eyes. See the perfection of Christ. He never goes astray from God's will. His love is always genuine love. Not the fake, superficial love of appearances, but the love that is moved with real compassion, real kindness, a depth of feeling and emotion and love for people. There's no one like this man. Which leads to our fourth point. How do we see him? How do we see Jesus for who he is? How do we see his words as true? He calls us, don't judge by appearances. Judge with right judgment. How do we do that? We've seen it. The answer is stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at yourself in your own glory and look to Jesus. Take your eyes off of yourself, off of those around you, and see him for who he truly is. We are all glory seekers by nature. We come into this world concerned about one person and one person only ourselves. Right? Babies are just as selfish as adults. Adults just hide it better. We come into this world concerned about us. And as we get older, we find other ways to be concerned about us. We tear down other people to make us shine. That's what gossip is. Gossiping around someone's back. Glory problem. We hide our sins in failures. We, we, we put on a false persona so others will see us in order to shine because we want glory. We blame our circumstances. It wasn't my fault. It was my boss's fault. It was Satan's fault that I did that. Rather than looking at ourselves because we want to shine. We don't want our glory to be threatened in order to see Jesus as he truly is, we need to stop seeking our own glory and behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And let's be clear, it is exhausting. It is exhausting to seek your own glory. Seeking your own glory will never satisfy you. Some of you know this, whether from past or present experience. You know how much of a burden it is to constantly walk around seeking after the approval of other people, seeking to be recognized by other people. It is exhausting to be living in a way that others will approve and give us glory. It is exhausting to go around constantly wondering what other people think about us. We leave conversations. I do this all the time, guys. We leave conversations and we're like, I wonder what that person thought of me. Or I wonder if I said that. Did they think that I meant this? And we start going self-reflecting. Why? Because we are concerned about ourselves. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to be a hypocrite. To know that deep down you are not really the way that others perceive you. And to walk around with this constant fear that what if I'm found out? What if I say something that gives myself away? And so you're constantly comparing yourselves. You're having to make sure your stories match. It's exhausting, guys. It will not satisfy you. Brothers and sisters, the glory that comes from man won't make us happy. It won't give us rest. It will not satisfy us. 
It is only when we stop looking at ourselves, stop seeking after our own glory, and turn to see Jesus and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that we find ourselves truly satisfied. We can bring our sin, we can bring our failure to him, and he can forgive us and cleanse us with his perfection and satisfy us, though we have no money to buy it. This is a supernatural act. We can't do this on our own. We can't do it no matter how hard we try. But as Jesus' words are proclaimed, God in his spirit opens up our eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He convinces our hearts of the truth of Jesus' words. This is what theologians call the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus' words as true, not because we're smarter than other people, not because we've figured all the logic out, because the Holy Spirit has told us and taught us how to see Jesus. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When Jesus' words go out, the Spirit takes them and opens up hearts to see them. He applies them to our hearts, and we hear Jesus' words, and we see glory rather than what people can do to us, rather than what people can give us. We see the glory that comes from God, and we worship, and we delight, and we find rest for our souls that glory-seeking can't provide. Brothers and sisters, see Jesus in all his glory today. Move. Don't let someone block your sight. Move where you can see him, in his word, in his people, in worship. Lord, we thank you for the words of Jesus. We thank you that they are true. In him there is no falsehood, which means we can trust him. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust him today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.